All right, so welcome. This is the Truth to Power show on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, VJR Nathan. Normally, we air on Mondays at 8 a.m., but today we're doing a very special episode. Um, so now we have two guests to welcome. Uh, our first guest is Tori Ashley, Ashley Matos, uh, Matos, a native New Yorker, writer, actor, and artist, now based in West Village. They are gender-fluid, Afro-Indigenous, queer as all get out, and mad as hell. Their work focuses on the practice of compassionate but radical decolonization of ourselves and our societies, and we'll get into that a little bit in the conversation. Uh, they graduated in May 2019 from NYU's uh, Tisch with a bachelor's in theater, and they have published in Newtown Literary, uh, Name, and Nun Magazine, and many other publications. Uh, they are 2019 Dream Yard Poet Fellow, and the poetry is forthcoming in Blue Literary Magazine, and Sinister Wisdoms 2020 Anthology, titled Lesbians in the City. Um, also, welcome, welcome, Tori. Thank you. Hi. Let me just make sure that, uh, yeah, Mike. Three, yeah. Okay, good, good. Am I on? Yeah, Yay. yeah good, Thank good. you, right, yes. Good. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, our second guest is Paolo Javier. He was born in the Philippines and grew up in, uh, I'll just say, various locations around the world. <laughs> uh, he's produced three albums of sound poetry with Listening Center, including the limited edition pamphlet cassette. Um, can you say that name? Wait, say that name? Uh, of the er, earlier. Earlier, okay. Yeah. And the Chapa cassette, uh, maybe the uh, Sweet Honey Pours. Uh, featured artists in Great New York uh, 2015 and Queens International 2018 volumes. He recently completed OBB, uh, a weird post-colonial techno dream pop comics poem that also includes illustrations uh, by Alex and uh, Alex uh, Tarapi, Tarampi and Ernest uh, Concepcion. Okay, good, good. We have, uh, no, I, I saw a little bit of overlap there about... Uh, in your bios, <laughs> you kind of talk about decolonization. Of, uh, oh, yeah. Uh, that seems to be a theme. So uh, while we start off with Tori, just talking a little bit about, uh, you know, just about, you know, like in your bio, I think it was the terminology you could just kind of um, talk about how we think about colonization as an internal thing or, mm. you know, and how we can have, find a place of um, understanding how we internalize these systems and how we can work towards uh, a place of decolonization. Yeah. Totally. Um, yeah, decolonization is a process that has to begin inside. Um, the way Michael Jackson talked about the man in the mirror, it's a pretty universal concept. Um, for example, in communities of color, um, I come from a mixed race background um, from Puerto Rico. Um, and colorism is, is really it's a problem. Mm. Um, my grandmother, my great grandmother, she is going to be 94. Um, she is, when you, if she would walk past you in the street, you would look at her and recognize her as a black woman. Mm. But she would never say that out loud. Uh, we did a DNA test because we wanted to know where home was. Um, and when it came back with a third African, Native American and Portuguese, she was livid about this, this Africanness that lived inside her and what it meant to her having lived in America for as long as she had. She knew how black people were treated. She mm. knew what it meant to be black in this country. And she knew that that was a problem. So that is a woman who is colonized. 
Yeah. Absolutely colonized to her core beliefs of, of humanity, really. Like, what constitutes a human life? And how can I other myself into something that is palatable? Yeah. Like, how, how can I other people into something that is less than so that I stay in a position of power? And it doesn't seem that complex at surface. Like, it just seems like a self-hatred thing. And that's part of it. But it's a, it's a tool of othering. And that's a, a tool of, of colonization. So when you look at the systems that are even ingrained deeply into us, like we were talking earlier about how as a young actor, as I acted as a child, I changed my last name mm. from Matos to Park. I had Russell at one time because I associated success. I associated people liking me mm. with whiteness. So... Yeah, definitely. I think also yeah. in my own experience, like when number of times that people mm -hmm. would look at my last name and be like, you know, back it up, Ram and yeah. Nathan, then I felt, you know, in some ways, I, not that it was about that, but I used our Nathan as a way to yeah. kind of appease right. people to not feel threatened or not feel, yeah, not to feel like, oh God, there's a yeah. multi-syllabic. And that's, the, that's the thing too. Like I don't, like I didn't want to threaten anybody, especially yeah. when it comes to my poetry, because I feel like people get upset when you like give them radical yeah. like anti-racist <laughs> anti-colonialism anti-american which sometimes my poetry can be very angry about the state of our nation yeah people will infer that yeah based on what they see in the submission file yeah based on what they see online you let me get so, Paul in here yeah. and then let's talk a little bit about um you know, Buddhism, I know that was one of the major, you mentioned as being one of the major philosophical systems that influenced you, and how you feel, um, and you also lived in many different places around, from your bio was saying that you, many, many places, so how you feel about uh, your own heritage and ethnicity, and yeah. how maybe your teachings even inform you in that perspective. Well, let me just say, I mean, I, uh, I have a very, um, close uh, historical bond with Puerto mm. Rico because yeah. I'm from the Philippines and mm. 1898 is that big year that yeah. we were colonized right by the United States and yeah. um, I guess if you're going to say radicalization my radical education largely self self-taught but through situations that you know um, I was in and uh, probably the the um, great catalyst for me really exploring um, these these realities. You know, my family never talked about the Philippine-American War, which is really the blueprint for American colonialism. But it was also a race war, mm. right? Um, Puerto Rican independence was never talked about. Never right? talked about, yeah. Yeah. absolutely. Uh, and, and, I mean, I, but I would never have understood these realities if, you know, I wasn't an immigrant um, as an adult coming back to New York. Uh, so let me just backtrack. I'm originally from the Philippines, moved to Westchester uh, with my family when I was 12. And then we moved around. We lived in Egypt for four years. Wow. And then we went to Canada where I attended. Um, my, I got my bachelor's there and I was there for seven years. And then I came back here moved back to New York as an adult and I immigrated here. Mm. Um, I would say the years leading up to my move to New York and then my move to New York, those, the education that I was gleaning for myself, life lessons, all of that really helped me to better articulate 
I guess, my colonial subjectivity and my family history and, I mean, the self-hate that I really lived with. Mm. And, and how um, is it different? Did you find reception or ex your experience of these issues or ethnic issues or, or being ethnic or being of, uh, in the different areas you lived in? How did, that di how did your experience differ of yourself and your... Um, yeah. Um, was well, there any difference? Or? Yeah, total. Well, yeah. let me just say, I'm glad you... You, you reference that I live in different places because yeah. that actually articulates how I currently feel, which is on the one hand, I feel both included, but then I also feel apart mm -hmm. because it's such a very unique origin story, right? And I have the perspective of having lived abroad and then being twice the immigrant to North America. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, you know, they don't talk about race in the Philippines. They don't. They don't is there a colorism do. issue? Yeah, There's absolutely colorism. colorism. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But in many ways, the Philippines is, I guess, the future. It's aspirational in terms of um, the resistance to, um, national, nas to nationalism, mm. right? It's not even regional. It's more local than that, the identifications. And on the other hand, it's also like the most regressive country because of how buried... Um, these histories are, even immediate histories, right? Um, and maybe that speaks to the trauma that is yet to, you know, be articulated. But there's colorism. I grew up applying this lotion called Eskinol to whiten my skin, oh, which is actually a strong astringent. Yeah. Mm. So that it actually you're burning yep. your skin. Yeah. And my mom, my dad were totally fine with it, you know, uh, you know, so many of these advertisements in these countries, you know, they really, they really promote mm -hmm. lighter skinned yeah. people as yeah. being the this, the ideal of beauty, of beauty or standard yeah. of beauty, and that's not just it's in America. That's terrifying. also it's all across. It's everywhere. Yeah, if everywhere, there are dark yeah. skinned people, you will mm -hmm. find some kind of yeah. market for that. Yeah, but but I would say that the difference in the Philippines, uh, as opposed to being a Philip Philippinex, you know. Uh, American um, in the Philippines, the beauty standard is not so much whiteness like wasp, and more mm -hmm. actually Chinese, like a, right. a white, light-skinned Chinese mm, beauty, yeah. and that has everything to do with the colonial history. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and what the Spaniards, Spanish colonial. Oh, the Spanish. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we share that. Yeah, and who's in charge? <laughs> who's in charge economically in the Philippines? And right? it, it was funny that what you spoke about before, yeah. um, how things are moving in such a, a rapid pace, how there is change and there is a, a resistance. Because I was, I, I don't remember where I saw, I might have been on Twitter, about how, you know, leftists in this country are not the left. Like, they're center moderate. Yeah, like, yeah. And how it's, ridiculous. it's yeah, really it's crazy how, how if you look at an actual chart yeah. about where you're going to place True. people, like our most radical left, most yeah. radical left, left people so -called are radical moderates. Left, yeah, moderates, moderate. yeah. yeah. Truly. And how yeah. I find what yeah. I find that's very interesting is that in the Philippines, in Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico. in places where there is turmoil, mm. that is where actual progressivism yeah. is happening. Where Absolutely. there are people who are rising up. The rising. actual left mm. exists in these places yeah. because the like as far left as we think people like Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders are are people who are taking back, like forcibly taking back government yeah. from the hands of oppressors into the hands of the people. Mm -hmm. And if you see with the governor, um, Roseo, in, mm. in Puerto Rico, people were ready 
to enter his home and mm. say, here, these are our demands. Right. You can meet them or not. <laughs> People power. Because, you know, yeah. it, it started with the, the, the chats about horrible yeah. things about LGBTQ people about women, yeah. but the reality is that he mismanaged yeah. so many uh, monies for yeah. people who were suffering. Yeah, I was, just, and um, like that was the real issue was yeah. that these people had been living without really consistent Truly. energy, consistent yeah. work. Yeah. They've been in a recession for ten years. Oh, the the issue was not saying horrible things about women because that's obviously a problem. Yeah, problem. The problem was that these were people who'd been suffering for 10 years and who had had enough. Had enough. If you want to look at actual mm. leftist politics, yeah. Yeah. real progressivism, look at these small grassroots campaigns yeah. that turn into massive, covered by the news, yeah. protests. Yeah. So yeah, that's interesting that you said that because I find that it is also happening in a place like the Philippines with yeah. that person well, who is in charge. Know, D- D- Duterte, who's yeah. actually... Not compelling, very complicated figure. Mm. Uh, he's deplorable. Yeah. And can make no mistake, right? But on the other hand, he's actually really progressive compared to previous presidents. But I wanted to say that there continues to be a strong communist presence in the Philippines that wow. gets underreported. Mm. There's, a, I think, a larger organization called the National Democratic Front that, you know, uh, serves to uh, represent all these smaller um, socialist groups in the Philippines, and it's an armed resistance, mm. and it's been that way for a That's while. That's leftism. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was just—I uh, just want to highlight this uh, random meme I came up with. I came found on the internet. I love a meme. I love a good <laughs> meme. Uh, this one has to do with uh, how uh, Jesus's uh, the teachings of Jesus were actually. It claims it was actually past aggressive actions meant to oppose and resist that Jerusalem's Roman colonizers like uh, turning the other cheek is actually a matter of forcing the Roman to either break proper slapping etiquette or to hit you properly, thereby treating you as an equal. Mm -hmm. And how like these kind of things that we, uh, and then it goes on that uh, the debtor's taking a lot of possession in court. You can include the shirt off your back so that the greed is causing you to commit public nudity. (laughs) And when a soldier forces you to carry his equipment, as per the law at the time, you go the extra mile with him literally carrying his bag beyond the distance the law stipulates. I thought it was interesting. I mean, whether or not these actual, um, whether or not this analysis is, you know, can be, can be looked into. But the point is um, uh, how wisdom traditions have been kind of, you know, in a way kind of, sang- uh, what's the word? Like, it's like I said, uh, they're cleansed of their wisdom. And they're kind of made like a co-opted. way to oppress, co-opted, yeah. co-opted. They're made to like, um, you know, actually as a tool of the oppressor yeah. rather than a p- empowerment yeah. of the people who are the weak and the, and the you know, we're trying to get, the, these Muslim traditions are trying to give power to yeah. those who are downtrodden and right. at the same time they're being used to like, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, you can go, I mean, just in America, you can <clears throat> go back to slavery. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. My ancestors, ancestors were told horrible things mm. about their the conditions that they were living in the mm. reality of their life was ordained by god yeah and you know i i can i i, I live and let live but mm. i as just me I, that is why i struggle with christianity yeah. so much is and you know in puerto rico you, know, you had right. an entire yeah. empire of native yeah. people yeah. who were like trading across oceans with peru and mexico and you don't hear about no. this mm. and they had their own religion and they yeah. had their own system of belief yeah and it was erased and literally walked upon mm. in favor of christianity and like when you look at the texts 
when you look at Christianity and the, just exactly what it is, well, once you get past the fact that what we know Christianity is compiled by men yeah. for a purpose, <laughs> yeah. but when you look at this figure, that is exactly who he was. That yeah. He was just this snarky 20-something yeah. who was just very angry about the way that things were, who was a colonized person, yeah. who you know, brought the fight right up to the colonizers, you know, mm. like he, I, I think of Jesus in particular, because you brought it, brought yeah. Jesus up as an example, as like a Martin Luther King kind yeah. of, I'm going to do this and what it happens next is on you. Mm. But what you have to recognize is that you have all these millions of people who have been colonized who are going, you're going to have to deal with their yeah. reaction mm-hmm. to yeah. how you react yeah. to my non-reaction, yeah, <laughs> which have- is like really intelligent way of, of protesting a horrible oppressive system mm-hmm. yeah and how we can bring like this training of our minds to love and compassion into yeah. the political scene and uh and how we can kind of bring our social awareness because that's what i took away from the, my christian yeah was was that kind of loving kindness yeah and practice. all traditions have that yeah. and i think even within uh the buddhist communities you know tricycle has the motto being awake in the world mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, what we want to do, I think one of the objectives is to be awake, but also be socially conscious and aware oh, of yeah. our communities and be aware of where we're coming from, where others are coming from, you know, exchanging ourselves with others so that then we can put the community mm-hmm. first because yeah. there's infinite number of living beings around us and we're just one person. Yeah. So, uh, do you want to get in there, Rapello, with some little bit, what was your tradition in Buddhism that you, well, um, I, I was raised. Roman Catholic. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I was a but you guy. became yeah. yeah. And, uh, sometime, <laughs> sometime in the nineties when I was an undergrad and we moved to Canada. I mean, I just, I was in a very dark place, yeah. and um, I was actually looking for faith to, uh, to, to help me, mm. and it wasn't going to happen at the church. Uh, certainly not the Filipino congregation, um, and I just was drawn to Buddhism, and I would read Buddhist texts and. Um, go to temples, explore temples in Vancouver. Mm. Um, and just the, 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 the fundamental truths that I would read that the Buddha espoused actually really helped me a lot more than any kind of therapy that I was seeking. And mm. then it's uh, ten years, uh, nine years ago that I officially converted. I practiced chanting. Mm. Um, and it's... Uh, I don't want to necessarily go into particulars. I don't have to, but yeah. uh, it's it's really um, uh, my way of just really just dealing and coping with mm. my day to day and karma. You know, my yeah. my belief in karma. Yeah, and you know, that's the other thing about it. organized religion that yeah. you touched on is that they can be very. Um, this is what I'm looking for. That they don't. They're not welcoming places. Yeah, often. Yeah. Because it's like a group thing. I think that they like yeah. tend to tend to fall into any yeah. religious organization has such a strong group thing. So that you're welcome if you think like us. If right. you kind of True. told right. the party line. Yeah. If you're spouting out the same verbiage that yeah. we do. If you're all the time commiserating over the same kind yeah. of, you know, or not yeah. nodding, nodding uh, or mimicking or yeah. parroting the same thoughts. And it's to know? the point where if I see like Christian groups mm. now. I get nervous. Yeah. I genuinely get a yeah. little because yeah. you know, I I identify as non binary, I'm mm. queer and all of these different mm. things and 
sometimes those can be violently, you right. know, yeah. completely. just like, I understand. Yeah. Not okay. <laughs> like yeah. people will make it known to you that that is not okay. And they and, may not even say it immediately, but you know, it's under the surface. Right. They're really committed. And that, you know, it, they'll get to at it some eventually. Point they'll get to it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's that like, is, yeah. We'll put a pin in that, but here's, yeah. you know, here's this reading material. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's also, it's also possible in all fairness that, you know, that quiet time where they won't say anything that you might have influence over them. And yeah. You might win their hearts. Well, I mean, I think at its core, religion see, yeah. is a lovely thing. Yeah. You know, I wish it just, I would just wish it wasn't yeah. so, it didn't have as many <laughs> connotations. Yeah. You know, because like yeah. at its core, it's just mm. so, it's lovely. It's like, yeah. you know, there's this higher power that is benevolent that is within all of us. Yeah. That, you know, is the thing within us that compels us to do good in the world. Like, yeah. how wonderful is that? But unfortunately, all this other stuff gets in the way. Yeah, the question of uh, the question of wisdom is what mm. we're trying to get at because yeah. we don't want to get to structures, so we don't want to confront structures which are socioeconomically benefiting oh, yeah. from you kind right. of constantly coming in the door and yeah. paying them their money. You know, they're they're so yeah. that yeah. we think about corporations being people, right. then we think about religious organizations as being people. Well, that's why I talk about core of, beliefs. Yeah, you yeah know, exactly, Because yeah. I was, we were both raised Roman Catholic, yeah. and mm. I think that the morals that I was given, mm. the 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 sort of Blueprint, or blueprint, blueprint, yeah, yeah, the sort of yeah. absolute rules of, of Catholicism. Mm. I mean, I think I'm, I'm pretty sure I still have all yeah. of those within yeah. me, you yeah. know, just right. like accepting people where yeah. they're at, yeah. you know, trying to be as compassionate as I can. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Mm. And She's like, very powerful. Yeah. yeah. Very For, powerful. And even the I mean, confession, you know, something important. I yeah. don't know. There's something about being honest about yeah. where we've, screwed up and and mm -hmm. and not I, you know just generally the confession idea of like this i've you know i've done this committed this sin yeah. or whatever and then acknowledges this separation between yeah. the action and the person it's like right the, the patterns in the person being less afraid can, of yeah. the consequences yeah. because you've been told their, yeah. your whole life that there yeah. is always forgiveness yeah exactly i find that i am <laughs> way more honest than people who <laughs> who have not been raised as yeah. stringently yeah. roman catholic as yeah. i am because yeah. i you know you kind of yeah. get it in your head mm -hmm. that you know eventually it'll be fine as long yeah. as you say i'm sorry it'll be okay but yeah, yeah they're yeah. you know those those um foundational yeah. morals like you're talking about wisdom yeah those are just things that you can't wash away that yeah. that are the core of it that are not tainted mm. that you take with you that i think i bring certainly into my yeah. practice as an artist yeah and then um talking about like well, let's talk a little bit about poetry practice and then both of you are poets and both of you how, how does that work into your wrestling of these ideas? And, uh, and you know, how does that, and is that, do you feel that that's like the form in which you put these competing, you know, imprints or competing blueprints at play with each other? Or in what way do you feel that, it, does, does it come into play or in what way? Yeah. Anybody want to take that? Apollo, you want to take that? Um, uh, uh, sure. I feel like I'm talking a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I, I think for me, um, uh, when I when I was that I, I wrote in my response to one of your questions, mm. one of my great failures was pursuing creative writing as an undergrad mm. because the workshop just was not going to work for me. Yeah, you know it's ironic because I've had a career teaching in the MFA <laughs> and um, and I think it has to do with the fact that you know these ideas um, my my radical progressivism right uh, part of my unlearning or learning or discovering has to do with me you know discovering that 
the poetry that I was trying to write was actually not the poetry that I'm supposed to be writing. And it's really tied to my really getting to the very bottom of colonial mentality. What has American English done to how I view the world? And it was actually through poetry and experimental poetry, right, that I was really able to give myself room to explore, be timid about exploring, and then just open up my reading. And uh, so I would say my radical practice is really in my poetry and what, what permission I give myself to really experiment with language and decenter, and decenter the narrative and really resist, you know, what the academy insists on, which is a very specific type of lyric narrative poetry. Oh, yeah. You know? And uh, I am, and again, then gatekeeping, I'm just so vehemently opposed to any kind of gatekeeping. And I see it. You know, I see that mm. from my job, and then I see it moving through poetry. And uh, so I think that's more where I'm, I've been deliberate and focused is really in the work and, and, and just challenging, opening up the English languages to different Englishes that I grew up and yeah. all the languages that I hear. And just a quick follow-up about the gatekeeping. So you mean like, uh, I, I think I understand, but uh, also for some of our general listeners, it's like a lot of the barriers that seem to come up a lot of times when it comes to economic barriers or when it comes to like, you know, um, some kind of socioeconomic or all these kind of race barriers, all these kind of things that where the person in charge of making decision-making is basically basing on how much you're able to pay or is there other factors you feel is, uh, you can test in, uh, in how people are able to move into other circles or is there any particular things that you feel like are problematic? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think um, uh, I think right at this particular moment, there's so much more money in poetry. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And, and there's so much more money in the arts. Mm-hmm. Suddenly there's like almost like a cannibal interest <laughs> on these white-run institutions for people of color. Yeah. and poets of color and um, and what I've what I've long observed right in um, in poetry at least right uh, with uh, POC groups of poetry that have formed in the last 10 years is that really unfortunately it's just a different it, the gate will not come down or the gate will not go up it's just they're replacing who's at the gate. Mm. And these groups have become smaller versions of the larger gatekeepers. Mm. And yeah. they're the ones determining with their brands, okay. And I say this as someone who actually co-founded mm-hmm. one of the biggest Asian American poetry nonprofits, you know, yeah. in the city. I'm a co-founder and I'm erased from that history. And so is the South Asian poet who's also a co-founder. It has to do with, um, you know, my vigilant, you know, reminder that, you know, Asian American history is about being excluded from this country. And we cannot repeat that in our practice as an organization. Unfortunately, I see that a lot. And so, you know. Um, I find that with a lot of POC poetry. A lot. Yeah. Is that it's a, a lot. You know, yes, great we're all people of color making poetry but you still have to make walt whitman poetry yeah <laughs> truly. you know what i mean like it's truly. it's just about yeah. people making establishment poetry yeah. as 
and it's great if you are also a person of color. Like, yeah. congratulations, yes. you have entered the group as long as you are still, you know, yeah, so totally writing Robert Cross. Just that your form has changed. Right, right. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. It your then becomes, form, yeah. it, it's palatable yeah, again yeah. because yeah. it's in vogue. Yeah. The yeah. basis of it, the establishment, the foundation never changes, mm. obviously, because yeah, what is still the most profitable is still mm. Walt Whitman. <laughs> it's mm. still Robert Frost right. kind of mm. lyric, like you said, lyric yeah, narrative poetry. Dead white men. But, right. you know, it's in vogue for the voice of that poetry to be people of color or queer people, right. I yeah. find. Yeah. 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 I'm sure you've read Ocean's book. Have you read Ocean's book? <laughs> no. No? Uh, oh, gosh. Uh, Do you feel a type yeah. of, is there tea or... Because I just thought maybe you would you would like it. Oh, I haven't read Ocean's book. Uh, On Earth, we're briefly gorgeous. The novel. No, I haven't read. It. Have you? It's fabulous. I and did it, get it from the library, but about, I get a chance to read it. Yet. It's it's talking yeah. about the kinds of English that exist oh. in his world. I haven't read it. No. It's and a new one. It's a new book. Yeah, I it's library. the new one. I, uh, it's sort of fabulous. I reserved it, and then I have I have till the twenty second to read it. So I got requested <laughs> already. Read so it. So I'll read it. Yeah. It's actually worth yeah. worth reading. Kind of, I do kind of. Yeah, work. it's yeah. a it's a book. It's a novel, but it's a book yeah. about he's writing it's to his literature. I don't know poem, who yeah. told you. Prose it was a novel. <laughs> In other words, it's presented as a novel. Yeah, I'm sure he thinks it's, it's a novel. It's novel. not. It's yeah, a it's like, poem. But it's a uh, it's a letter from a uh, a son to a son to his mother, mother who, who cannot can't read. Yeah, right. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, and it really investigates the the way that we colonize ourselves through mm. American English and how mm. there there are phrases in American English, like there's a passage that he ha- he writes on the word sorry uh. that just destroyed destroyed me, like about mm. how we use, after a while, it becomes so devalued, this mm. word. It doesn't even become apology. It becomes the name. It becomes mm. the self mm. when you're living in an American economy mm. and the lowering, the debasement of oneself becomes how right. you eat. Wow. You know, and mm. so yeah, I, I, try it out. Yeah, I have. I, I, you know, I, I have, think it might be worth it. Like, why would ten listen? things I'm reading at once? Yeah, I know, why would we, we listen to a poem while we have? It's a halfway point. Cool. So uh, here, uh, go? you want to go first, Paula, or do we have I, something? Yeah, you, you, you have something. Although, if you have something ready, then uh, if you have something, that I don't. Like, I mean, no, uh, I yeah. Um, yeah, go ahead. Why don't you read one poem and then one uh, poem? Well, okay. Yeah, yeah. We'll just start with one each. <laughs> it's the, 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 that's the, tough. Uh, the, um, I know it's the hardest part. It's the stress of picking the poem, right? Yeah. Oh, geez. I'm gonna read. It's one poem, but how long do I have? Uh, yeah, give it a. Give, I'll give you a few minutes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Maybe yeah. I'll pass on to. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> All right. I'll look. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll give you a, a nice minute moment. Yeah. 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 This one's pretty new. Um. This one I wrote in a, a poetry workshop with Aracellus Gourmet, who I love. Um, and it was a workshop on odes. Mm. So this is called Ode for Tomorrow. Tall summer grass and inside the tip, ripe and full of seeds, is my buffalo. She is finally the last buffalo. She pitches toward the justice sun and stands at attention, hoofing scrolls of marble history out of hard-packed dirt. Unroll the scroll and the children I will never have tumble out one by one. One is lizard-skinned and barren. One is blue, already dead, and ashamed of it. The last is yellow, uncontrolled morning sun glued together with tree sap. They ride their buffalo mother through white men's mountains and dig through the rubble with their bare hands, looking for sweet morsels to chew. Justice makes wine from buffalo milk. It makes a hearty porridge for the new world. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Good. Thank 
Okay, good. Well, so thank you. And then I guess my turn. Yeah. <laughs> I don't actually really write short poems. They're all serial poems. But uh-huh. I'll read this. This one I can take, a, take, take out of. Um, yeah. We love an excerpt. This one I can take out of. Uh, God. Yeah. So this is a, a, a poem within a, a, a long poem. The long poem is called Feeling It's Actual. And it, I was really interested in wronglish, right? <laughs> wronglish. Yeah. That's my term. The bad English that comes up when I'm actually speaking intimately with my, my partner and my family, and I can really just be vulnerable. Yeah. So this is a short poem called Tangherina. Not to beat around bush, but your laugh was an infection, so I cut to the cheese. What would I lose to gain? You get to that chicken when it crosses the bridge. When time is of the elements, you take things first at a time. Lalo na kung, the feeling is actual. So. Heck yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Heck sense. yeah. Yeah. Very great. So, um, and yeah, then just continue, or continue from what you're talking about, about how each of these poems process. And, and what do you feel is... Um, what, what do you hope to communicate to your readers, or what do you hope that readers will, in any any your, your work in general or whatever, uh, what do you hope the readers, what effect, do you, what power do you feel the poetry will have, or, 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 or you're just talking a little bit about mm. the impact it's having on on society or the people you met, or I, for me, what what really broke that open for me was um, having a conversation with Alexander Chi, um, who's an incredible. Um, Asian-American queer novelist, and I had spoken with him at length about having trouble with audience, and where does audience fit into my work? Because sometimes I write in Spanish, or I'll write mm. in Spanglish, mm. yeah. and I, I have issue when it comes to, I want everyone to be able to read my work, mm. but where do I translate and where do I not? Yeah. And you know, making a decision of when to not translate, and when does that become important? Um, and we had this discussion and at the end of the, the the discussion what i took away was that what's most important is that i should be writing for someone who is not me but is like me and who if they read my poem would be able to survive the next mm-hmm. few days mm-hmm. and i knew exactly what he meant because i remember being in high school being my, my first couple years in college of there being times when everything would get to a point where there was only so much that could sustain me to keep going. And it is, it's usually it was words. It was Mm -hmm. language that I would read a poem or I would read an essay. Like when I found James Baldwin, I remember being able to say, yep, I can, I got a few more months left, you know, like Mm -hmm. I, I can keep going. Mm -hmm. And so for me, when I think of what I want my poems to do in the world, I think of a, a mixed race, young person who doesn't really know where they fit in on the gender spectrum yeah. or mm. how they fit in in a world of whiteness when their skin is copper and mm. they don't really know where home is because you know, they come from that kind of mixed place. It is very specific, but I think mm. specificity makes the poem come alive. And I wanna, I wanna make sure that that, that person mm. feels seen, that mm. they, are able to take in what I make and that it sustains 
that it is like a food like food for the journey mm. um and you know i think that there's a little bit of that feeling of i don't know if there is a tomorrow for me because i feel marginalized or i feel unseen in mm. these ways that exists in everybody you mm. know that exists mm. in the most privileged people in our society and also the most unprivileged people in our society mm. um and that maybe those people of, of a lot of privilege can understand exactly what it is like to live in a body that is as colonized as marginalized as some bodies are in this country so i think for me that's that's that comes into my process and mm. every part of the poem itself to when i put it into the world that that's kind of the intention of it i hope yeah. and it, it sounds lofty and it sounds maybe a little bit arrogant but <laughs> that is my intention that i want it, it's about it's about food for the journey that's what i think mm. yeah how about you paul well you know i i i write very experimental work and so um i and you know having said that like i'm just grateful if if, if a poem gets published and um and I operate in a much smaller community than the larger poetry community. So I publish in very small editions. I publish in these journals. Um, and I, I suppose the people who read those journals and follow these presses, they're my audience. Mm -hmm. I don't actually really think about who's reading my work. Um, and uh, I'm honestly just proceeding from a place where I can make my poems and... Uh, I'm just really glad that, you know, I've been able to actually consistently publish on my own terms. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like I'm actually making work that important. that I feel I'm I'm challenged that's challenging for me and then I'm able to do it and that not that publication actually is the be all and end all, but that it's published actually is really great. And so then I'm in conversation with other contemporary poets. Um but I think from um, a, a personal and aesthetic end, I, you know, then I go back to that moment in the 90s where language was really terrifying for me because I was in that creative writing class and I realized I, what I had learned was all wrong about creative writing and poetry. And, you know, it was a moment where language was just coming apart. But um, I realized in hindsight that that's actually not a moment of weakness that's actually a moment of strength where you know there's agency in knowing that you can pick language apart and put it back together mm. and trouble it and destabilize it you know and that's uh, the strongest part of the yeah. story is yeah. when it comes undone when it comes you know? undone yeah. it's yeah. painful and it's yeah. traumatic but yeah. at the same time you're free mm. and that can be also terrifying but in hindsight yeah. that actually is a liberatory moment for me and so when i make my poems i guess unconsciously i want to make sure that my poems are always going to, you know, have room for that break, and you know, yeah. yeah. And, I, and yeah, I talk very, I talk very like mm. calmly about decolonizing yeah. myself. That process sucks. Very, yeah, <laughs> like very difficult, just painful. straight up. It's yeah, that, that yeah. process sucks. It's not fun. Yeah, when you realize that things that you thought about yourself were completely true yeah. are uh, not true. Yeah, but also how to we like, make excuses yes, for these yeah. destructive behaviors and destructive yeah. thought patterns. We're like, you form a whole oh, identity you, I, over you something of, you wish you could be. Yeah, and also That's how crazy. I th I find in my own process, I find 
a lot of these th thoughts, I, I, you know, I, I think about briefly, it'll, it'll emerge briefly, uh, and I'll, be, I'll recognize it for what it is, but mm -hmm. then it'll submerge, yeah. <laughs> and it'll have, it'll have an effect on my life, yeah. but I, I won't, I just like that elephant in the room, it's like that presence in the room that I see it, yeah. but I don't want to no, engage it, I don't want to acknowledge it, I don't want to be in a serious dialogue with it. It means completely, like, yeah demolishing yeah. part of your identity that yeah. you thought was so central to who you were mm. but it's also it's also it for me it's the floor so <laughs> uh, it's not it's not so much the walls because the walls i interact with you know right. the, the kind of structures that i am in dialogue it's with foundational. but the foundational so yeah. when you remove that you have really have to build another floor yeah. you, know? you really have to yeah. kind of you really have to kind of have a you know they say fake it till you make it you have to like have a have like a <laughs> oh, temporary yeah. floor yeah. before you start demolishing that right foundation yeah. you really have to have a a leg to stand on yeah. before you're starting to engage that process. So, yeah, I talk very flippantly yeah. about decolonizing. Yeah, sucks. yeah. <laughs> it's hard. I know. I can just speak to the question about audience in my own work. Uh, you know, I started working on the first. At first, I was working in just poetry, engaging my own psychological process and yeah. uh, all this kind of thing. But then I started thinking in terms of audience with. Uh, the series I call the Paparazzo Poet Meditations, mm. in which I'm engaging popular culture, I'm engaging celebrity culture, which I feel is a good touchstone point for most people in the West, but um, you know, specifically Hollywood A-listers and all this kind of thing, which people, a lot of people are familiar at least with their name, or at the very least with the, a little bit of their bio. But I was pretty familiar with at least a few actors, a lot of the gossipy Hollywood <laughs> stories that yeah. I, over the years I've compiled or list, uh, you know, had. So I was like, how can I, you know, bring together, like, you know. You know, people think about escapism and, and, and you know, as a Hollywood entertainment as being escaped and running away from, but actually running, uh, I tried to bring in the meditative space so that we can run into mm -hmm. these problems when we look at pop culture and we look at um, any kind of things in, uh, that's in the center stage, right. if you will, and trying to bring that perspective. So, like, that would be a good segue into, like, social media and, Ooh, yeah. and all these technology <laughs> and, and all these things that wow. we brought up a little bit about that. But what is your level of engagement and what do you think about, uh, Tori and I were talking about unplugging and how, you know, maybe detriment and all, or whatever uh, engagement or lack of engagement you have and what do you think about that? Yeah. Who wants to, anyone? Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll go. I, I think for me, because I work in many disciplines, mm. I'm an actor and I write, yeah. I find that especially in these, these acting circles, when you're off your phone yeah. for like a day, so much can happen. Yeah. And then when you're not aware, it seems like you're lazy. Like you're mm. not doing the work that... Because I understand, like, when you're in an industry that is a very small number of people and, you know, you're in front of these people and you don't know what they just finished doing, mm. that's kind of, you know, it's, it's a faux pas. Ugh. So it's like, <laughs> it's really hard to stay on top of all of that yeah. and stay sane. Yeah. yeah. Because uh, I, I said it in one of the questions that you asked. Like I get into arguments with with friends and family who are like, "You're doing too much." Mm. It's like people have to stop me because mm. I overwork myself and I do yeah. too much. And when you're a poet, you're submitting online, yeah. and so much of my work as an actor is submitting online yeah. and looking up mm. sides and putting myself out there on these different channels. And so a lot of my work, and also you know, maintaining a social media presence because I have heard stories of people getting passed over for roles because mm. another person had yeah. a couple more Instagram followers, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like people who have these, these this social media presence who make themselves known and then use it as a networking tool, all these things. Like you have to be more 
present these days, it seems yeah. like, to be considered successful, which yeah. is the wild. The media to industry, me. especially, is really yeah, like, like it, it, that, yeah. it kind of, it's now yeah. part of the job, which mm. is, you know, not what I signed up for <laughs> at all. But, it, you know, I, because so much of what I, so much of the work that I do has been found on through social media mm. or on mm. the internet, I feel like this phone is yeah. like my office. Yeah. Right. So it's really hard to, yeah. to, back away from that because yeah. it feels like that's sometimes my lifeline to the, to the community that I find work in, the collaborators that I do work with. Mm. So, you know, other people have an office with a, a, a bay window. I have <laughs> this iPhone. <laughs> and that's sometimes kind of disturbing. Yeah. 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 What do you think about it? Well, I, I, I'm not an actor. I'm not so, <laughs> you know, and uh, as each year goes by, I want to be less seen. Yeah. You know, I think I've had the same author photo since 2000, <laughs> 2008, and I have Bigfoot right next to me. <laughs> the author photo. Um, and I withdrew from Facebook in 2010 because I just, there's something about... You got off before the Russians got on. Yes, uh, I know. Yeah. But I had known that they were collating information on uh, us, yeah. and so I was freaked out about that. Yeah. But then I also didn't like seeing what, Facebook was doing to people yeah. who I really respected. Mm. And I withdrew from Facebook and I actually have a Tumblr account which I only oh, use to I post stuff. Yeah. And but but I think for me politically um I get if you're an actor, you know, I think the Rock has over 243 million followers yeah. you know, and he has to do it every day. Yeah. I get that visibility but for I think for poets, for me I I just can't get with the idea of being on Twitter and working for Jack Dorsey for free, mm. <laughs> which is what you yeah. do. Mm. Like Trump is his number one employee. Mm. He generates so much money for mm. Jack Dorsey. Like you, you, you've got your protest tweets, yeah. but in reality, you're actually feeding yeah. the machine. And for me, that contradiction, yeah. I'm not in a position where I need to rely on, on Twitter or Instagram mm. you know, uh, or social media. So uh, I can... I can withdraw, yeah. and I. But I also understand if you're in certain professions or industries or art practices, you can't really afford that decision. But yeah. for me, as a yeah. poet, I don't really need social media. Right. Yeah, but also it feels yeah. like the the rise of social media has you know it's a double edged sword. In some ways, um, I feel I like people think thing, people yeah. think about people focus on how. Um, uh, you know, it's, you know, like people, a lot of times like the criticism I see about Facebook is that, oh, you know, people are bragging or people are, you know, creating this mm -hmm. false image. Yeah. But in some ways it's kind of a, it's kind of a way to, uh, you know, when you're, when previously it's like if you were isolated in one right. area, you didn't have a community or no. sense of That's community. That's what I was going to yeah. talk about. And yeah. I feel like community is, is not, is important to network people in yeah. who are, you know, stuck in these yeah. places where they don't have any any kind of ally. Yeah, like you know, when I, I, when that, I was yeah. in high school, yeah. I went to a Roman Catholic all-girls mm. prep mm. school, mm. which was rough when you were right. figuring out that you don't fit on their gender spectrum, yeah. right. which is right. tomboy or girly, yeah. you know, and you're like, these are not binaries that I want to ascribe to. And mm. then you also realize that you're gay mm. as fuck. And you're <laughs> like, that's mm. not okay. Yeah. So yeah. when I got kicked out of that school for being gay, Oh. I, yeah, I found oh, wow. my community yeah. on Twitter. Yeah. I found my community yeah. on Tumblr, yeah. on you know, on Facebook groups of people yeah. who yeah. were who were who were going through similar uh, issues. Yeah. And yeah. you know, and also just recently, like I during the hurricane, 
when absolutely i i remember right. getting updates on twitter and no place else you yeah. know like only hearing about what areas of the island had power mm. through yeah. twitter and like what areas were getting yeah. fema help what yeah. areas still had blue tarps over destroyed tin <laughs> right, roofs right. a year later yeah. on twitter because no one else is really covering it yeah. so you know i i totally agree mm. that there are these horrible parts of social media that you know i i, I don't want to be anybody's employee you yeah. know but it's also like one of one of the greatest it has utilitarian it, value yeah, yeah like the arab yeah. spring i don't arab think spring, would have yeah, happened without say. twitter yeah. and, and, the and facebook, facebook yeah. Yeah. yeah so it's 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 very strange how you yeah. how the same tool that can yeah. be used so deviously yeah. can be such a, a freer yeah. you know it can be such a liberator mm. yeah yeah and then um so I guess we can go into, actually, now it's starting to get a little bit close to the time. So why don't we, uh, well, any last thoughts as we start to wind out? Any things that are coming up for you uh, that you wanted to call back to or uh, uh, anything, anything coming up for you that you wanted to call out in your own um, career and such or whatever? Any you know, upcoming events and things like that, in, I mean? In 20 minutes when we leave, I'll think of something. <laughs> right now, I'm yeah. just like blank. Yeah. Uh, well, I think you talked about plugging things. I yeah. Think we talked about what is coming up for me, but what about you? Anything fun? I, I think I'm, I mean, I'm giving a read, I'm reading with Maria Lacella, mm -hmm. this uh, translation event sometime in September. Oh, good, good. I think there's that. Yeah. Uh, I, but also, I wanted to touch in on, now, previously, I know you were the, Queensport Laureate. Why don't we talk a little bit about kind of what, what does that mean and and yeah. what was and one ways in which you uh, a little bit reflecting on yeah. back when you were Queensport Laureate. What what did that? What did you get out of that? Or what what is the effect? Or any thoughts on that? Or well, I mean the uh, I mean I think it's crazy in hindsight that mm. I was chosen <laughs> to be poet laureate. Just amazing. Like, I'm yeah, really so really dope. I'm really grateful because mm. you know of at the, the the time when I was was picked. It was a pretty low point in my life um, in terms of feeling really alienated from poetry. Uh, and so to, you know, be, I felt like it was an immense validation of mm -hmm. the kind of poetry and poetics I really stuck to. Mm. Uh, and to be honored by Queens, which has been, I've lived in Queens the longest, you know, mm. I've lived in Queens since 99. And mm. um, uh, it is, you know, the world for me. Uh, I. It's been incredible. Uh, I think um, I, I did a lot in that position. Uh, it really uh, connected me with a lot of really great institutions like Queens Museum, Poets House. Um, yes, Poets House. And, uh, but it also let me know that I, I've only scratched the surface of Queens, and mm -hmm. there's so much more work that needs to be done by future poet laureates to really connect to you know, Rosedale, mm. St. Yeah. Albans, right? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Not just Western Queens. Yeah. yeah. I could only yeah. do so much. You know, I really, my goal was to do a reading in every library branch mm. in Queens. You work in the library yeah. system, so that can be tricky. Right? Yeah. Uh, 64 branches, I think. 64, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. Hunter's Point is just opening up, so I believe it's 64 at this time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. We have a new library system, a new library opening up yeah. on the western front, right on the border. Yeah. Uh, I think in the fall it'll open Long Island City, yeah. Uh, Hunter's Point is called. Hunter's in Point. Long Island City, yeah. though, but yeah. the branch oh. is called Hunter's Point. Cool. And then, um, yeah, yeah, and then uh, 
So yeah, Queen's Library has a lot of poetry readings. I do an open mic, yeah. a regular open mic, where we have a featured reader yeah. and we have the community come in to read from their work. Mm -hmm. yeah. And engaging, I think people, a lot of times people will um, be more you know, inclined when they can read a little bit of their own work, or even if they, even yeah. if, you know, they like you like to dabble and experiment and like to listen yeah. and all this kind of thing. And it's a good community forum to absolutely engage the community with that poetry work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. So um, let me do a quick couple of quick announcements. Um, this is the Truth to Power Show on Ready for Brooklyn. Ready for Brooklyn is a five hundred one c three nonprofit organization whose mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, and free expression. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. So to help support our mission, we invite you to make a one-time donation or monthly pledge at radiofreebrooklyn.org slash donate. You can also go to radiofreebrooklyn.org slash truth to power to sponsor this particular show and offset its cost. Uh, every cent continues to help us, helps us continue to stay on air. So please support independent, independent community media by pledging whatever you can afford, all contributions are tax deductible. Um, we have uh, a Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, one, of the, one of the ways in which Radio Free Brooklyn is able to generate rent revenue is uh, by offering affordable podcast recording services mm -hmm. to people in the community. So if you're listening to the show and you're thinking about starting your own new podcast, please join us and get, uh, get your application into a professional studio where it belongs. RFB offers low, month, low hourly rates, which includes a technician. So all you have to do is show up and record. Uh, special thanks to our listeners. We're offering an amazing discount through September 1st. So just use the coupon code TTP for Truth to Power when scheduling, and you get 20% off the cost of your first recording with us. Just go to radioforbrooklyn.org slash podcast studio and enter the coupon code TTP. Um, yeah, and then also we're, we're doing a bunch of stuff. Radio for Brooklyn is doing a bunch of stuff with the, the teens. So uh, we have a teen, the youth, uh, the youth uh, <laughs> teen squad uh um, we're doing something with the teen squad so you can go to I believe radioforbrooklyn.org slash uh, after school I believe um, RFB teen squad uh, so just look that up at radioforbrooklyn.org um, I think it's after school um, anyway so uh, thank you so much uh, we're starting to hit the end mark I think that uh, I'll play a song we'll, we'll give last calls and then we'll, uh, we'll play a song I, I went to the Smashing Pumpkins concert uh, in uh, uh, Jones Beach the other day. Wow! So they had uh, they reunited. Was yeah. James a part of it? James, um, I there was some. I'm not even like I don't even know. Anything <laughs> about it. Uh, there was some guy. There was one of the members I know had had some rift with uh, Billy yeah. or something. But I'm not too. Uh, okay. But I will play. I'll, actually, I'll, ironically, I'll play um, uh, one thing from Noel Gallagher for Oasis because <laughs> oh. he was also there. <laughs> he so was. I'll play Oasis. Why? <laughs> so, yeah, he was there with his Why other band. But what? then he played, I don't know, just random <laughs> oh, things the out. the Gallagher's. Yeah. So let's see. Um, it was a 90s. Uh, yeah, right? 90s comeback. Yeah. I'm right? into it. Yeah. <laughs> I have on mom jeans, so <laughs> I came prepared. <laughs> so let's see. Um, mom so, jeans. Yeah, so last, uh, let's see. <laughs> Combination right there. <laughs> Don't look back in anger? Yeah. Wow. Slip inside the eye of your mind. Thank you so much, guys. Thank Don't you. Woo, thank, thank you, you so much. much. Thank you. A better okay. place to play. Yeah. Right. You said that you never been. 
Summertime 